0: Good morning again. To so see, we should have mentioned before, when I was kidding with uh, Voice of Praise being in San Francisco, that we also have a, a large group of of, uh, of children and and uh, youth uh, that are on camp right now with with Julie Hammer leading that. So, if you're wondering where some of these are, you now you know, right? So keep praying for our kids, our youth, and 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 uh, Voice of Praise and and all of that. I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4. Um we are uh, in this longer uh, somewhat uh, thematic uh, season of of life together. You'll see that in front of your bulletin, you'll see that in in uh, different kind of things on posters and and announced around and we started that uh, by by simply asking uh, the bigger question uh here lately on on what does that mean for uh our life as human beings what does that mean for our lives as as Christians what does that mean for our life uh, uh in uh connection with Christ in other words that has to do with discipleship how do we understand what it means to be a Christian life together obviously on, this, on a horizontal level speaks to how we uh, relate to one another as Christians and to the world as Christians. It also speaks though to how we relate to Christ because everything flows from there. And so it's about discipleship, and we said, where can we turn to look at that? So we turned to Luke, and we began uh, early on uh, a couple of weeks Sundays ago uh, with with looking at the temptations, Jesus's temptations, because through Christ now His body would would be learning and experiencing also what it means to live as a follower of of Christ and we talked about that uh, as as a matter also of of existential understanding of who we are and the crisis that so many find themselves in there we interrupted last sunday because it was pentecost Sunday, And so we interrupted to look specifically at that, as that was uh, the church's birthday. But I want to begin here today, like, like we are adding on to where we were uh, with Jesus' temptations. Right after he's baptized, he was led into the desert to be tempted. Uh, and he came through that, and that's where we connect to the story today. But let me say a word before I get there, just to... Kind of underscore how difficult maybe uh, things are in the way we understand life uh, and what it means to be a Christian. As evangelicals, we have, generally speaking, uh, been opposed to what we consider liberalism and in liberal theology. And by that, we have used it kind of in a popular, somewhat flippant way, just as a, another way of saying those who don't really believe the Bible. That's kind of the overarching popular kind of understanding. But but true liberalism in the true sense of that word was a movement that grew out of modernism. It was a movement in the 19th century where where there was this push, very hard so for us to rethink Uh, What faith is all about in light of all that has been found out. And the father of what we call the father of Protestant liberalism, a guy called Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, a German guy, said it's it's all about your interpersonal sense of your dependence upon God. So it became personal. It's this inner feeling kind of thing that matters. And coupled with that, we had the whole push that came through a philosopher called Immanuel Kant, and, and the New Testament scholars that flew out, that, that kind of came out of that. Uh, also, people like Adolf Harnack and, and other famous kind of theologians over time, clever, smart, brilliantly informed people. And what they did also with that was that they were turning the matter of faith into a matter of ethics. It's about right behavior. What we learn from Christian faith is right behavior. And if you take those things and put that together, all of a sudden we have, and we have adopted that as evangelicals, pretty much we have not much to say beyond what is faith about. Well, we need to learn to, to live right, and it's about how I feel about my relationship to God. It just runs directly contrary to what Scripture talks about. When Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God has come near, I'm here to develop a community that is an alternative community, my people. The people where things are different, the people that understand that this is about life with me, where it's not about what you find out, it's about what I say this will give you life. It's about love. It's about Loving the other for the sake of the other. That's what love is, right? Not for your own sake, but for the sake of the other. It's about grace. It's about understanding that God had given you a road map to the fullness of life. And it comes through Jesus Christ. Can you see how easy it is to just switch that? If you're deeply, deeply honest with yourself. It is so easy for us just to... Be washed over by the other notions, so that we who claim to not be, quote, liberal, we might be just that. In the name of not being so. So I want to talk to us a little bit about what Jesus is saying. What is life together in light of what Jesus is talking about? So we connect to the story as he's coming back from his temptations earlier on in chapter 4. And then he comes back to Galilee, that whole region where he grew up. And he comes to Nazareth, I begin to read in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free the oppressed, And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scrolls and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him. And they were amazed by the gracious word that came from his mouth. Yet... They said, isn't this just Joseph's son? And then uh, he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do this here in your hometown also. He also said, truly I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while the great famine came over the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow in Sarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian when they heard this everyone in the synagogue was enraged they got up drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of the hill uh, that their town was built on uh, intending to hurl, hurl him over the cliff but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way Well, this is how it begins. He came to his own, the place where he was brought up, and you'd think that that might be the most logical place for him to come. After all, they should be uh, receiving him with open arms and ready to to uh, kind of accept his message and and all of that. That that seems to be the logical. The logical conclusion. Why not? Let me go to my own. But all they could see was Joseph's son. They were amazed. But, you know, this is just Joseph's son. So think about this for a minute. They were busy with all the stuff that had gone on, but they had heard that Joseph's son had done great things around. There's something going on. There's a commotion. There's an excitement. We wanted to kind of know what was going on about this. What was this about? Was that just them, friends? Or was that us as well? That they were more interested in knowing about the commotion than they were actually in in understanding who he was. There was them when, when, when they seemed to be more interested in the rumors about Jesus than they were in coming to know the Jesus. I wonder if that's us sometimes are we there as well where it's more interested to know about him and what happens around because of him than it is actually for us to pursue who he is and what he is about Jesus came to Nazareth to his own where he'd been brought up where people knew him. And it was just too hard to realize that he was not just Joseph's son. It's too hard to to get to a conclusion that what I've always thought about Jesus might not be the fullness of what he brings. What I've always gotten comfortable with now has to change because he's changing me. You know, there's so much in this here. The next verse begins with, as usual. Or in some translations, you may, as was his custom. Both of those words, uh, may be too, uh, weak for what the original word means here. That seems to be, say, yeah, no, he kind of did that often. But the word that is used here really refers to that which has been, become your habit over a long period of time. That which has become so ingrown in your very being that that is what you are, who you are. It defines in many ways your personality. Become part of it. And because of that, friends, if you listen to this and see this text, Think of it this way. That's why it is so important that you train yourself and you train your family. You train your kids. You train uh, your friends to know and, and people around you say, this is what I'm about. I go to worship on Sunday morning. That's what I'm about. And it is not a, a second priority that I go every time there's not something else that calls me. That there's not something else I'd rather do that I have planned. See, you can only train and teach those around you and yourself included if that the priority is that. There, there's no middle road. You either train your kids, for example, to say, oh, we go to church every time we don't have other things. Or you train them to say that. Has first priority. There's no real middle road here. And as Jesus' disciples, you know, we see a little word like that and we just read over it without thinking about it. But as Jesus' disciples, that is followers of him, we want to be his imitators. And as his imitators, we want to do and to be And to be in a situation where the same things are said about us that are said also about Jesus. That's what it means to imitate. And low-hanging fruit, friends, is this, that he went to the place of worship. Let's be like that. And when he got there, he was asked to read a text. And he opens the scroll to Isaiah 61, a text that was written about seven, eight hundred years before him. Of course, when Isaiah read that or wrote that under the inspiration of God, he did not know when that would come to fulfillment. And he did certainly did not know that seven, eight hundred years later, that God would bring that prophecy that he had given Isaiah to write down to fulfillment as he entered into this synagogue in Nazareth and God's own son stood in front of a gathered group of worshipers and read, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He he sent me to proclaim release of freedom, if you will, to the captives and recovery of sight, to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This stands at the beginning. This is like a program declaration for Jesus. This defines His ministry, everything you read from then on throughout the Gospels would be seen and should be seen in this light. This was an identity marker, his manifesto, if you will. I think some of you have done similar things, have you not? I mean, I have. Said, This is who I want to become. I hope people see me in this light. Yes, I don't know, that's common. For most, you know, in, in my context where I grew up, when we got, the first time I did that in any kind of significant way was at our wedding banquet. Well, I was, uh, from Europe, right? Uh, and and if you're, those of you who know about European uh, banquets and feasts, you know, this is like a four or five hour deal around the table. And it's a lot of fun. You have all these different courses. And in between there's someone has written a speech for you. Someone has written a song or several songs, several speeches. They're doing fun skits. And it's just a hoot of fun for about four or five hours. And then it concludes in a wedding banquet with, with the groom giving a speech to his bride and to the people there. You know, I was an engineer. I did math because I never wanted to speak out loud in churches. And no, no, now look. I just did not want to do that, but, but I so I was fearful, my knees were trembling and all that, but I still remember to this day. Now, this was the point when I stood up and said, "We have talked. We have prayed. This is what we want our lo- home to look like—a place where it's very clear that we love Jesus. A place where it's very clear that we love that we love each other. A place that's very clear that we love our kids. A place that's very clear that that our kids will know that very reality. The place where it's very clear that people can come in and be and find hospitality and grace." Now, whether that was lived up to is for other people to decide. But that became that thing. We said, that's who we want to be. And Jesus' words here is the word that comes to not only who he is, but who he wants his followers to be. So here it is. He said... Go talk about these things. Proclaim this. This is your purpose statement, that you are to preach the good news that is the gospel, a joyous message to the poor. And, of course, when we read that the first time, that seems a little bit like this could be... uh, This could mean that Jesus is speaking specifically to a certain kind of a a social group, if you will. And let me just say a word about that for a moment. We live in North Texas, friends, right? In the northern side of the buckle, the inner buckle, the pearl in the buckle kind of Bible belt. There is not a place here that has more churches than this area, right? Christians, so many, they are almost uncountable here, right? Wealth that nothing in the world has ever known of right here in the metroplex, yes? There ought to be zero poor people in the metroplex, yes? And there certainly do not need to be anyone who has not heard the message that there are people who will love them so much that they will introduce them to a Savior that can restore them and they will find hands and feet among his people that will help them get there. That's the proclamation of the good news to the poor. Why are we not hearing this? I don't know, but that seems to be the unequivocal message throughout Scripture from the earliest pages to the last. But then, of course, there's so much more. That word that is translated for poor here is a broader word and not the least in the Gospel of Luke. It does not only point to those who have uh, nothing or very little in terms of material goods. It points also to those who have everything in terms of that. But has nothing when it comes to what is actually the most important thing. Those whose destiny is not just built on divine help for material goods. The other side of that word, if you think about it, right, it speaks to those who are genuinely poor in life. Those who have a house, but who do not have a home. Those who have a bed. But who can't find rest ever to sleep. Those who have a marriage. But don't know real love. Those who have kids. But who can still not talk about a genuine family. Those who know all kinds of people. But don't really have strong community. Those who can breathe. But don't know what true life is. Those who can argue just about any point. But have not found the meaning of life. Those who call themselves Christians. But who do not know who the Lord Jesus truly is as Lord. This friends is what this text is about. Preach the gospel, the good news to the poor those who are poor in material goods and those who are poor in the other kinds of life issues. That's what he's referring to here. And if we want to, dig deeper, one of the ways to do that is to take this quote from Isaiah and look at how did Isaiah phrase it or how did, was it translated from, from the language of Isaiah to the language of the New Testament. And that word for poor is the word humble and in the biblical language the biblical understanding humble means those who realize that life is so much bigger than they that they are themselves so much bigger than their own little world and they realize there's a god and they're not him that's the meaning of biblical meaning of of humility in scripture the people who have realized that will realize that only christ Will give meaning to life. Think about it. People who reject Christ. And they suddenly have to find meaning someplace. The only place they now find it. Is in their own hands. They are the own creators of their own meaning. Right? And so suddenly all of life and all of eternity. Is in their own hands. Instead of in God's hands. Are we hearing this? This, this floored me when I began to see that. In the text. No wonder we can't find peace if all of destiny rests in my hand rather than in God's hand. The question is do we dare to preach that God is here to send us out to preach good news to the poor? So it goes on here. Uh, and he talks about also sending us out to speak to those who are in captivity. It's an interesting thing here then when we think about this. Because most people don't, and I certainly don't, think of captivity in, in terms of, of just uh, location limitations, so to speak. But there are so many things that can bind us still. He sent me out to proclaim release, freedom to the captives. Just think about this. You know, you have it in the very real sense of that. Paul and Silas is one of the stories of scriptures that come to mind that they were all in the innermost hole of a prison and they began to praise God and we had the story about their chains fell off. But so many are captive and held captive by our own things. So many different things. Our lifestyles, Our jobs, our growing up, our traumas, our memories, our experiences, our tax brackets. Just go on and on and and think about it. Our mortgages, things that holds of captive because they are the things that we put at the top, right? And so we, we miss. What Jesus is about, our inferiority complexes, our pride, our self-sufficiency, whatever it might be. And Jesus says that he and, and through him us that we are called to proclaim release, freedom from that. Maybe it'll become even clearer when we realize that that word that is translated freedom in some translation release in this one is the word that that means pardon in fact it's the same word that means forgiveness can I say it this way forgiveness is the greatest freedom fighter ever let me say that again forgiveness is the greatest freedom fighter ever He has sent us into this world to proclaim release, freedom, forgiveness. That's the word. To those who are held captive. Just imagine this. Makes me wonder if there's someone that I need to go and proclaim to them that they have been forgiven because they're caught in a web of captivity. Now there's someone that I need to go to and, and just tell them about the forgiveness that Jesus gives, but also that I forgive. Maybe even moreover, there's someone that I need to go and ask forgiveness. That's the mission, friends the manifesto that Jesus gave and through him that he sent out his disciples to continue as he asked them to go preach the gospel i've always been i've always been somewhat stilled by that prayer that Jesus taught us when he says that lord forgive us our sins just as we forgive our debtors yes forgive us our debt like we forgive I wanted to give, forgive my debt unrelated to how I forgive my debtors but forgiveness friends is the greatest freedom fighter this world has ever known and then it ends by this he said tell them about having sight. Proclaim that there should be people who can see. Have vision. Jesus Christ came to give us a brand new vision for life. A brand new vision for ourselves. A brand new vision for How we look at him, he's talking about seeing power. Those who were blind but now can see with real seeing power. It's not easy to get a new vision for life. We're thinking that should be pretty easy. It's not. We find our ways. And to get to meet with the one who changes everything is hard. But listen to this. It says about Moses, very last chapter of Deuteronomy, when it talks about him getting up in Mount Nemo and getting Mount Ebo and getting ready to to, uh, hear the last word from the Lord and see into the promised land. It says that he was 120 years old when he passed. But his eyes, we're not weakened. And his life power has not left him. Think of that. It's not so much that he needed a different prescription for his glasses. This is about him still seeing the vision about what God was all about, that his eyes had not been dimmed. He still saw clearly Who he was. Who God was. And what God's purpose was. And he had the life power still. To live that till the end. This is the exact same thing. That Jesus promises to us. The only thing he is asking. Is that we listen to him. Come to him. Accept. That he is there to give that to us. That we may be able to proclaim freedom. That we may be able to proclaim vision, seeing power. That we may be able to tell those who are poor that Christ will bring them into his kingdom. Yes? Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, therefore, and believe in God. That's the gospel, friends. Can we stand for a moment? I know this was a pretty strong word, but I told myself when I first was called to preach, if I was going to use this book, I was going to stay with what it said. I want to encourage you to not just hear yet another sermon. I want to encourage you to see this as this was God's purpose and it was God's purpose for me. Can we do that? Can that change the way we look at this place, at all of North Dallas, of all of this region? Not just conclude That this is just Joseph's son. This is what we've always known. No. He came and changed everything. Father, I ask that there will be some here who willfully and willingly will come to you with that prayer. God, change my life let the purpose that you set out the manifesto that you said this is for me and mine let that be mine as well Father there are some here maybe who do not know you or who are watching the stream or maybe even someone who are here much later than now may your word stir every heart that we come And we say, Lord Jesus, here am I. Send me. Amen.